you just guddled me. Okay, welcome back to Not Daily Podcast. In this episode, we come back to the last topic, which was what is the best week, right? We are preparing for reinventing the world from scratch and questioning our notions of time. One of the things we talked about was how important it was to break off the monotony of a sequence of days that are too similar in a row. Mm -hmm. And at editing time, I realized that one way to do that would be to have irregular weeks <laughs> <laughs> so not always the same number of days and know that our clocks are pretty much directed by the internet we could even have pretty much random we decide the week as it happens any thought <laughs> besides the non-practicality of it I mean, we lived through that, not really, but a bit when we were in college, no? Didn't you have schedules that changed every week? Oh, that is uh, that is a good point. Uh, I guess it depends on your college. So I've done like three different college and it really depended. In some years I had very strict schedule for the semester. Some year it changed actually every week. We received the the schedule like, on Friday. Yeah, I didn't have that, but I talked to people who did, so I know it exists. I had something a bit more regular. <laughs> I'm not sure like when you're a student you have any kind of clue. I think it's the weirdest year of your life, like the 18 to 23 years, because you don't really care about schedule. You have so much energy, like so much energy. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I remember getting completely hammered and go to class at a seven the next yeah, day. Well, can you really extrapolate that to everyone? Everyone I talk to in their 30s are like, I, was, I had so much energy when I was 18. Okay, maybe you're at your peak energy and you'll have less after. Doesn't mean yeah. you have energy. <laughs> maybe you're just a low energy person. Maybe you're just a low energy person, but like it won't get better afterwards. Okay, well, anyway, we were saying anyway, whatever. you have peak power. <laughs> and then how does it impact your schedule? <laughs> it means that you have energy to do whatever you want at whatever time you want. And so I'm not sure you need that much of a schedule. And also, like, I don't know, it's a weird life to be a student. All the stress of the exam that doesn't exist at all afterwards. You can be stressed about work, but it's never the same as being stressed about the exam. It's a very stressful life for yeah, no reason. Yeah, because you have the feeling that it's going to impact your whole future, whereas at work, it, well, your future is now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It only impacts your present. Yeah, there's a sense of... Uh, gravitas, maybe. Everything seems very, very important. And after that, like you go to work and it's like, okay, if I fuck up that project, it's not that. Obviously, there's consequences, but like there's no gravity. Yeah, I mean, you, you grow old and you live through a lot of stuff. And uh, every time you, you get more experience and you're like, oh, then I've, I've lived through that. Then it's, how bad can the next one be? And so you get very good at relativizing. Maybe, but all, maybe also it comes from the system. Because I saw my parents going back to college when they were 50, like 45, 50, and they were so stressed about the exam. Okay. So so maybe just exams are the most stressful. That is a very good data point, actually. 
That's a very interesting point. Yeah, exams are stressful. I wonder if maybe it's because when you're in uh, an academic environment, you have exams, like you have basically orders that you need to follow, like you need to learn that. So you have a pretty clear command and success criteria, whereas in your adult life, you never have that clear of a goal and a boss. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's... Yeah, it's the fact of being judged in such a clear scale. I mean, it makes you think that in Lacanian turn, in in academia, you have, uh, well, during your learning years, you're faced with the big other, basically. The big other is very present <laughs> in your exams and, and expectations. That's interesting to confirm that. He puts a grade on you. Yeah, <laughs> he literally grades you, <laughs> literally judges you. Okay, that could be fun. Like a grading What? system on life. Grade your employees. <laughs> No, but like gradual life. I don't know. Like exams, but for life. Well, I kind of do that unconsciously, uh, kind of every day, thinking like, oh, this was a good day, this was a bad day. I think everyone does that. Are you? Are you journaling? Well, not very strictly, but I have... Really? A method of feedback. I do that very clearly for my learning Japanese. I make myself little exams, but that's... Yeah, but that's that's about learning. It's not about like life. In life, I yeah, have a mi micro feedback mechanism. <laughs> that's nice. I mean, yeah, I've always wanted to have a way to give myself feedback, but it always felt a bit weird. I read a lot of stuff about like journaling every day or like planning the year, like giving objective, like that sort of things. And then I've tried it, but it always felt weird for myself to put my conscious goal into writing and stick with it. Maybe you just don't want to handle your life like you do handle your work because that's what that's all you do at work, right? Mm, Planning and stuff. Maybe. Going back <laughs> to the actual topic. Yeah, so I, had a, I had a note saying like, what would your life be like if you were assigned every morning a day? Essentially, the day was decided every morning you wake up, you check eyes, you're like, oh, it's Monday. <laughs> like a dynamically changing week. But as you said, it's kind of like what being a student is sometimes. <laughs> if we remove the talk about the student. So everyone in the world would receive the schedule for the week, meaning, oh, this week is four days with two days work and one day off and then you do it yeah i guess it's kind of like i don't know if you've ever played heroes of might and magic they have a week system and every week they're like oh this week is the week of unicorns the, the all kind of unicorn uh, the unicorn population doubles and this kind of stuff you have a loot box element in here you discover the week of the week <laughs> i mean having same week based on whatever would be fun having days changed I'm all up for trying. If I, <laughs> if I have a leap year one day, I don't know. Like. Maybe you could have a month where everything is dynamically computed. <laughs> the chaos month. I mean, the thing is, like, for it to work, you'll need at least a village. Like, at least a thousand people on the schedule that you know. So you're living straight together. Yeah, no, it needs to be at the country level, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, but, like, for the test, for the experiment... You could take a village. No, but you need to have like the TV following, the radio. Everyone needs to be in on it, otherwise it's boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. There's so much stuff that we could have done during COVID quarantine that we didn't. 
<laughs> it was less risky, you know what I mean? It was all, yeah, all sure, up for shit, so like uh, we, we could try stuff at that point. Sure, but I think there's a lot of other things we should try before trying randomly assigned data. <laughs> 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 I'm sure this is the most pressing experiment. This message would like to thank all those who put their heart into making it possible. Starting by its writer, of course. But more importantly you, its listener. Thank you. Okay, that's a very good segue to talk about listener comments, because I had a very big discussion about this episode with uh, a Yaris, <laughs> almost assiduous listener, who brought up the fact that there is no reason for all hours to be the same. You could have variable hour length. Thinking about what would it look like. So one unit in the morning could be our legacy one hour. And one hour in the evening could be our legacy three hours. But then... I have a very good example of what it might look like if you want. Because that's how Japan used to measure time in the Middle Ages. Before the westernization. <laughs> yeah, they have a day and they cut it in 12 essentially okay. and so you have always 12 hours but in winter they are shorter and in summer they are longer well the day hours are longer in summer but the night hours are shorter in summer because the night is shorter well you cut the night and the day in 12 <laughs> so it's like six six it's like six steps six, six step like you just divide by six like the night time and by divide by six the daytime by 12 by 12 also they kept 24 just for the sake of it. Uh, I don't know why they got 24, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, oh no, the, the 24 comes from the divisibility, right? Probably. 12 is dividable by 2, 3, 4. Yeah, but 6 would work as well. But okay, okay. And so the very fun fact about this is that when they started having commerce with the West, they discovered <laughs> clocks. And so they had to build mechanical clocks with dynamically changing hours. And that was really fun. No. They, they are very impressive if you look at it, if you look at those clocks. But it didn't last long. They pretty soon reverted to normal time. Well, to fixed time. I think I, I I would need to check, but I think the variable hour length is what you get for free with the sundial if you have clocks that use shadows. But like that's the thing with time, even without dividing it weirdly. The time in the US, for example, was not the same in any cities, and they just synced it up because of train. Yeah, but I, I think that an offset is less weird than variable length. But yeah, technology forced us to standardize time. <laughs> Actually, if it's local and you don't have... I imagine it was, what, in the 17th, 18th? What century was that in? It changed in around the 1800s, I think. So before so the 1800s, like, I imagine there was no... No need for big synchronization. I yeah, guess. exactly. And so how would that... Yeah, no one would say, oh, let's have a two-hour meeting 300 years ago. That's a new thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty recent thing. Let's have an afternoon meeting decided about war. And they were like, yeah, let, let's, let's go at 12. I guess they they probably used a lot of starting time. Like, let's meet yeah. up at that time, etc. Let's have our army rendezvous at noon. But maybe less measure of duration. But how can you... That's, that's still weird, though, because how do you plan the things that you would do after? Well, they planned less stuff, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
They didn't break down their schedule the way we do. Yeah, I imagine so. The thing you do after is pretty clear. After the rendezvous of the army, you attack. (laughs) 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 It takes however long it takes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We overcomplicated the shit out of living. Coming back to the conversation that we had in the last episode, work forces us to plan way too much shit and to plan then for weird hours and weird week and weird months and that sort of things. If we didn't have work, if we were in a pre-industrial world or post-scarcity world, we wouldn't need all of that shit. We could just say, oh, the sun is out, let's go out. And that would be enough. And yeah, so the point here is that post-scarcity might bring us back to pre-industrial time yeah and that time management apparently (laughs) would it i mean it would be more relaxed i guess less arbitrary maybe i don't know well We'll more relaxed for sure we'll see when we get there Like, I mean, if you think about it, our way of living is a bit weird we schedule by the minute meaning you have a meeting at 3 30 if you're at 3.32, you're late Like, this kind of precision is insane. Brings us closer to computers than to animals, for instance. But I don't know that one is uh, objectively better than the others. It's just two different ways to behave. Yes, but feels very... Like, now that we're talking... I've never thought about it. But now that we're talking about it, needing to be at a 60-second precision in your daily life and that it feels normal to human, it feels a bit weird. Like, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't feel normal. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that everybody feels this amount of precision, but okay. <laughs> There's a bit of leeway. But, yeah. Not really, though. Like, people that go to work usually are, they can't really be late by one minute or three minutes or five minutes. You don't like it? Oh, well, it's useful, but I hate it. I can see the advantage. It's therefore optimizing. <laughs> the issue with optimizing is always optimizing for what? And like, right now, we're optimizing for shit. Yeah, yeah. But no, no question here. And I feel like what we should be optimizing for is not having <laughs> minutes to... I was going to say, whatever you want to optimize for, you're still going to need to have good methodology and time division, but not if you're optimizing for having no time division. Exactly. <laughs> you, you just goddled me. <laughs> well. <laughs> okay. Okay. To go back to what uh, Yaris was saying, to get a, a bit uh, of a bigger perspective uh, he was telling me that what we called I think we called that bottom up and top down yeah. something like that he says that you have two perspectives that are basically he says he brings that to one comes from the periodicity of the sun and so that's how you get months years but also seasons because mm-hmm. seasons are very clear things in the sun division and that's what he was going on about i'll more on that later you take the sun cycle and you cut it in subdivisions that gives you seasons and then months but to get weeks you are going the other way Ooh, it's an okay, okay, over it's an aggregation of days and so both are have their uh, merits, but it's a different job, a different process, if you will. Both of them are in the framework that we used last episode. Both would be a top-down approach: is taking what nature gives us and fitting that into our daily life versus the bottom up which would be more of like our feeling 
I thought we ended up saying that bottom-up matters more because we're optimizing for our feelings. <laughs> Clearly. I mean, we, we, I mean, it's been a long time that we haven't used the sun to say that it's the end of the day or the dead of the day. It's been, what, 300 years, 200 years? But is it good? <laughs> well, we just talk about you, it. You, Ten minutes ago, you didn't seem very happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to be closer to animals and less to computers, so... So, Eyaretz's point was that... So, he talked to me just after he had some planetarium visit uh, thing, so he was very excited about everything he learned. <laughs> That's a bit of a bias I should disclose. But he was saying that, oh, the solar cycle is a pretty sturdy rhythm that we've always used. And so we should, it's a bit outside of the, the topic of the week, but we should start the year on one of the distinct point of the solar cycle so the uh, oh i don't know how you say that in english equinox and solstice solstice is solstice right i think it's summer solstice and winter solstice no yeah basically center the year well start the year where the the days are equal to night or the days are the longest because you have clear phases well only five days off the winter solstice no like 10 days maybe uh something like that yeah how, how did that happen? It's just Christianity? Like, what happened with, like, the 1st of January? Like, how did they decide that? Months come from moon, from the moon cycle. A moon phase is 29.5 days, apparently. And then they just fuck it up because, like, it started like that. And then the Roman came, apparently, and they were like, ooh, that doesn't work well to, like, do stuff, do roads and stuff. And so they fuck it up because capitalism. <laughs> Not because capitalism, but because, mar because market and war. And like, so they needed something yeah, yeah. a bit more. So this I'm even a bit fine about. Like you have months of 30 days or whatever. But then why do you get them to start 10 days after the season cycle? Where does the... F like, because you have the offset you could, cho you could choose when you decide... Not really, because a moon starts with a moon cycle, and the moon cycle you can actually see in the sky. But is the moon cycle periodicity the same as the sun? No, it's... Or are we just, like, completely out of sync? <laughs> the, uh, maybe everything was so working so well during the Roman Empire, and we're just completely desynchronized. <laughs> so, like, every January 1st, the moon is in the same position? I mean, no, because the moon cycle is 29.53 days. Yeah, okay, so they synced it up in the Roman days, and no, we're just fucked. No, there's just no reason why we're doing the but things But I we mean, do. if you lose point... F no, because in the Roman Empire, it was also, like, weird number of days, like 30, 31 days, and blah, blah, blah. And, and I mean, just 12 months in a year. So if you are one and a half day off every month, it's unsync pretty fast. Yeah. Did nobody ever bring up this problem? <laughs> <laughs> apparently not. And apparently we spent like a full three hours last time talking about months without bringing up that problem. The, the, well, we didn't really talk about months, right? That can't be... It's obviously a thing because like now I'm looking at all the calendar in the world and in all like civilization, thanks to the internet. And in Persian calendar, it was also 30 days a month or 31 days. In Bengali calendar, it was also 31 or 30 days. In Nanakashi calendar, I don't know where it is, it was also 31 day. In Mer calendar, it was also 30 day. Like, I mean, every civilization 
in old times was like 30, 31 days. Okay, the sun cycle doesn't matter much anymore, but the moon cycle like is never mattered. Yeah, it matters to sailors. It's easy to measure because you see the moon, but what impact does it have? <laughs> to the sailors, to the sea, like the ocean, it matters a lot. When you have bullshit boat, you don't want it to be like whatever. No? Does it? Like it matters, it controls how much the sea rises on the shore, but like... I don't know. I'm not a sailor, but I feel like it can fuck your boat. 2,000 years ago, I think, but... That makes sense. I guess fishing was more important than <laughs> than rationality, <laughs> than uh, being autistic about the number of days. <laughs> if you put moon phase impact on sailor, you only have sailor moon picture. On the <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's because of anime that we're in this mess, just like always. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, so I think we're seeing that the problem is the lack of synchronicity between the moon and the sun. So I think the real solution is to obviously change the period of the moon so that it's yeah clear multiple or divider of the period of the sun. And then we can... I'm pretty sure it's not that hard, no? You can just like bomb the moon until like, it's kind yeah, of big Or just get rid of the moon enough. and then we can start afresh on clear good basis. Yeah, also that could work. I think it's just easier to like remove a bit of the moon. This episode is sponsored by The End of Your Problems. Thanks to our sponsor, you can forget all about that problem weighing down on your shoulders and get a good night's sleep again. By the way... I have been a bit addicted to a new game. I've been uh, looking for a new game to get addicted to since probably World of Warcraft or something. And I found something that... So wait, 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 wait. This game is as addictive as World of Warcraft was 10 years ago. Is that what I you're saying? I think so. That's insane. But it lasts less long, I think. So I've been dying to talk to to, to bring it on the podcast for like two months or something. And I'm starting to grow out of it, probably. But... Uh, Teres waiting in two months is not a lot of time. But okay. So I don't think... I don't know. Maybe it's, I get bored of things easily. But let's let's let me introduce the game and you can decide yourself. No, let's make a podcast without saying the game. <laughs> That would be way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, let, let's start. The, another game that is very addictive uh, is Minecraft. Did you ever play Minecraft? What's your experience with Minecraft? The only experience I have with Minecraft is me playing with you and your brother for, I don't know, two times maybe, three times? And I got bored after three okay, times. Okay, so you've never really get, gotten hooked on Minecraft. Never. But I, but I got hooked on Starbound. Yeah, I guess it's a bit of the same... Uh, same underlying uh, mechanics. And one thing that bothered me a little bit about Minecraft, less so about Starbound, is that there is no goal. It was too open in a way. Like you could do your house with a thousand rooms, but what do you put in your rooms? Like what's the point of it, right? Well, that's how I'd like to introduce you to Echo. The game that is ECO, uh, ECO, just like ecology, economy, but not like the dolphin. <laughs> I was like, what? There's an ECO MMORPG? <laughs> I want to play the dolphin. Uh, it's not okay. an MMORPG, uh, it's, it's a bit, it's exactly like Minecraft, actually. You have servers, 
uh, you can play alone, but it's a bit sad. Uh, most people play on small servers exactly like Minecraft. It looks a lot like Minecraft, except there is a clear goal in most servers because you can, uh, you can uh, deactivate it. There is a meteor that is going to smash into the earth and you have to develop technology in time to stop it. That's fun. Okay. So that's, that gives you a goal, let's say. And the real interesting part is that you can't do much by yourself. You have to pick up specialization, say like, I'm going to be a carpenter, I'm going to be mason, I'm going to work in electronics, oil drilling or anything like that. And you can only do one at a time or a few at a time, depending on your server settings. So you have to collaborate. And so that way you kind of have to form a society. <laughs> And it's interesting because the developer don't uh, don't define themselves as a video game developer. They define themselves as edu yeah. They they are working on educational games. They call that educational games. And so to to allow people to collaborate, they allow people to have laws and different system different economic systems. It's pretty advanced system of economy and politics. There's elections in the game and laws to allow you to coordinate and to find the best system to stop the meteor. <laughs> okay, but but because echo means all like it's like so yeah the so name echoes <laughs> the name echoes ecology but i should have started with that the the point of the the point of departure i think of their develop, game development process was so the echo is for ecology yeah ecology we, we, it uh, sounds because like that. if you're developing technology it starts polluting and fucking up the planet and so you supposedly want to build laws to avoid people polluting too much i don't understand <laughs> at all the premise of the game there's a meteor coming who the fuck cares if you pollute yeah but you might drive yourself to extinction before the meteor even arrives oh, <laughs> you, okay. you, you need to respect nature in a way i would say arguably the focus is a little bit shifted away from the whole sustainability to towards the meteor itself <laughs> i think the meteor Obviously, is like there's a meteor coming like I don't understand. I love the premise of the game. Like I, I, like, I love what you're saying. I think I will play the game. But the premise of let's do an educational game about ecology. But the thing is a meteor coming on your head that's pushing you. Well, keep, keep in mind that the meteor can be deactivated. So there are long-term servers who are more about running a society. Okay. So I'm not super familiar with, uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners are not, with Minecraft and like the server system. <laughs> with like, meteors. <laughs> with meteors. <laughs> but how does that work? Like, is that like 2,000 players co coming on on one server? Is that more like 10? Is that more? Because you're talking about civilization, society, laws, but it very much depends on how many people are playing. Yeah, so if you're playing in your corner, you can set it up so that you can do all the civiliz uh, all the specializations and then you're basically playing Minecraft. I mean, it's funny it's in, in its own way, but that's not the point of the game. The mm -hmm. point of the game is obviously to play with other people and to coordinate by laws. And that's where the shit hits the fan, is the expression? <laughs> because Echo is a great way to see how hard it is to actually make a sustainable society. <laughs> uh, there is lots of servers. You can, you can start up a server and most of them don't survive past one week. <laughs> and that is, I think, a very interesting lesson here. <laughs> 
because what usually happens, so like the server starts, people come together, but then there is a mismatch of rhythm of the players, like of course some people are going to want to play more than others, so there's monopolies building up. Then the guy who has a monopoly on stone just has to go to the hospital to take up his daughter or something like can't play for a day. So people who need stone are completely blocked <laughs> and everything falls down. Mm. I, I mean, a society of 20 people uh, is very uh, brittle, let's say. <laughs> But you can see these mechanics of power consolidation, uh, the monopolies forming really clearly. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, it's a, it's a great experiment lab to experiment with. Oh, you, you know how we often joke on this podcast that we don't have counterfactual Earth? Yeah. Well, it's a way to kind of have them a, a little bit. And you see that it's very, very hard to make it work. But your example, mm, is it hard because it's only 20 people or is it just hard? So I don't think the game has enough players overall to answer this question. I think most servers are between five and 30 people. I think a big server has 50 regulars. Yeah, and that's why it's a bit of a shame, no? So I started on uh, on a first few servers, had some fun and saw them die out after a few days. And then I started asking, oh, uh, what do you think is the, propor the proportion of servers who die out in a few days? People were like 99%. <laughs> so uh, it's really interesting. No, that seems very fun. I kind of want to try it now. The only issue is you need to talk to people, no? Well, I mean, so it depends on your server, right? Uh, some people, some servers are going to be individualistic. Uh, I don't, so that's the thing. I think I, I don't have that much experience. I tried like five servers or something and I have what other people told me. Yeah. But I have found eventually a server that worked. <laughs> And so it's a bit natural to extrapolate from this server, like what is necessary for a server to work, but maybe I'm making wrong assumptions. But on my server that worked, people were really friendly and helpful to newcomers. And <laughs> and that's where we're, to get, uh, where we're gonna get political. It had relatively strong government doing stuff. So for instance, the government was making laws to prevent monopolies, to enforce, so to prevent that, for instance, the woodcutter cannot be carpenter to force people to exchange. Okay. So one of the things that make it work, I think, is that they disallow group play. Everyone has to properly use the economic market to sell their stuff. Like I can't, I'm playing with my brother, but I can't just give him stuff. Otherwise it's not fair. But how does that work though? Like, like actually work? So there's a government, but there's feature to actually put that into place? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's there's a limit. I think if I really wanted to bypass the group this the group restriction, I could bullshit my way into giving physically stuff to my brother. <laughs> But for instance, the thing that uh, the the woodcutter cannot be carpenter, it can be enforced by laws, and it is. Oh, uh, I think that was fun, and specifically to the ecology part, they forbade the creation of uh, renewable energies to stimulate the demand for coal <laughs> but that might be an early game kind of move i don't know that's that's how much the game has moved from the ecological thing <laughs> i've never seen a society die because of ecology to be fair i've only seen societies die out because of capitalism gone wrong yeah ecology takes time to fuck you up no 
Well, it's a fast ecology, right? Everything needs to happen in 30 days. Uh. Yeah, but you, you, you make it sounds like it's a good simulation of the world, kind of. And like there's many ways to fuck up humanity before fucking it up with ecology. <laughs> That's my impression, at least. <laughs> and yeah, we're fucking it up with ecology. But before dying with ecology, like let's not die with like the other 10 stuff that we can die off. I mean, it's true. In, in a way, it's pretty hopeful. We've survived longer than most servers. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be hopeful about it. I mean, okay, that seems fun. That, that, that sounds fun. I think one of the things that I gravitated towards very quickly is these uh, antitrust laws. Like, you can't be the carpenter if you're also the woodcutter. <laughs> that really, I see a very big difference between servers with and without these kind of antitrust laws. Uh, but I don't know, maybe it's possible to make it work without antitrust laws. I feel like it would be possible if there were more people on the server. Like the thing is like it protects you against people not playing. Like if there's a track. Well, it gives a very strong monopoly to the people who can log in 24-7, basically. <laughs> And in a way, maybe they deserve it more, I guess. I don't know. But uh, I, I don't have uh, that kind of time to invest in my second life. <laughs> yeah. Like, the problem with that sort of game is... It's like Factorio. It gives the impression that you're doing something productive when you're really, really not. It could feel like a job sometimes. Indeed. It sounds like a game that is more fun to watch video about than to actually play. Like EVE Online. I don't know. So, yeah, this brings me exactly what I wanted out of EVE Online. But EVE Online, I found a bit daunting because it's too big, a bit boring a little bit because it's too high scale whereas in even line i spent hours delivering materials from one place to the other here you are this is even line plus minecraft essentially and in minecraft you build your own house you decorate and here the decorations actually matter because they boost your score at your job uh, okay i have a question from the start who decides though like how does that work who makes the law so there's 20 random people coming into a server. How does that go? So one of the, I think the biggest flow of Echo is that it is like Minecraft is server-based. So there is always a server owner. There is people who own the server and pay for the server. So that creates an imbalance right from the start. <laughs> But uh, the idea is that you get into the world and you have this system of, you, you have the whole political and economical system in place. You're supposed to, I think, discuss with people, like, do we want one money or several monies? So a lot of servers start with uh, unique money and democracy already in place. But yeah, I mean, if, so through democracy, you could elect a charismatic leader, but if the guy who owns the server doesn't like it, maybe he's going to just quit and cut off everything. So you need to have someone who's very dedicated to democracy. I, guess. I mean, it's it's also the an interesting thing is that you have to be in a way better run, than reality, right? It's a game. So people have to want to be in there. You can't have a society that is barely functioning. You have to be enjoyable. So it's incentive-wise, it's harder than reality. That's interesting. So that makes that's also why most servers fail because the pressure, the selection pressure, is much stronger than reality because people can just log off or take another server. You can just leave. In a way, it's the marketplace for counterfactual Earth. <laughs> <laughs> 
can try different and see what sticks. That's what comes. Maybe that's my socialist side talking, but I really feel like government intervention is helpful in making, <laughs> is necessary into making something that sticks. I mean, I agree. That's actually, that's the part that I really wanted to bring up to this, uh, to, to this podcast is the meta side of like, how do you, how is it that, what is the meta incentive that makes my server admin want to make a good server? Right, because you, I'm assuming that to do that, you probably need to make some concessions. Like you're not the absolute monarch of your server. <laughs> and uh, why did you do that? To get more people in and the people... You also have, you, you see this very cute community effect that you see in MMOs, right? I know everyone on the server, there's the baker, etc. It's so cute. I think we fucked up the world then because <laughs> that's what country should be. Yeah, I, I always thought of countries as uh, a level in which you can experiment yeah. a little bit with different economic models. But I mean, imagine you can just choose. At the same time, it's, it only, the experimentation only works if it's in a vacuum, isolated. Can't just say it's the fault of us. I mean, the, the world is connected. <laughs> we should have a background system that allows conversation between countries whatever the system in the country is. I'm, I'm not sure how, what would that look like, but imagine. And then in the country, every country needs to do something different than the other one, as a rule. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is you cannot really forbid interaction between countries. They are in the same ground. But I think that with, like, with a proper worldwide government, you could say, that, oh, we want to define zones for experimentation. Like, you could have a worldwide uh, incentive for experimentation. So to experiment different kind of government in any country, you need to have only one government <laughs> for the whole world. Well, a little bit, because you need to provide this experiment the, the, what they need to, like, fake isolation, run a VM in a way. <laughs> I, I mean, I would love to see AI play Echo now. When is Alpha Star doing that? Coordination is a hard problem. But I think AIs are more rational than humans, so they have less coordination issues. The only thing that I can think of that is very, very different is that they have less trust issue. I think if they see... Mm, that really depends on how they are set up, because... Yeah, that's wrong. AIs yeah. are not necessarily trustful, but they can come up with trust protocols. And they trust in their trust protocols, right? <laughs> they, have, they, they, have, they trust rationality, unless you specifically design them to not trust rationality like humans do. I mean, we, we are not designed to not trust rationality. It's just that rationality is very energy intensive. That's all it is. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like our brain is like, ooh, two grams of sugar or 0.1 gram of sugar. Which one should I take? And it's like, oh, 0.1 is ninety-nine percent true. Let's go there. It's just less energy intensive. That's interesting. So that means that getting to the actual optimum is always harder than getting to a local optimum in a way. Like nature is designed in such a way that there's traps everywhere. <laughs> the sugar trap. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure if you do a general purpose intelligence, like it would do the same as human. It would say like, oh, I can't be bothered to calculate everything. So I will take shortcut and like be wrong 1% of the time. Because it's always harder. You know what I mean? Like a, a heuristic is always less, less intensive than, than logic.
talking about counterfactual stuff, you can see a lot of different ways to organize a group in a job. Like meaning different startups with 20 people organize shit very, very differently because you can you are free. Everyone can talk to each other. Hmm. Like there's not that much monopoly of power because there's 20 people. Yeah, it's a bit isolated, right? You have your own environment with your own incentives. That's interesting. There's a good uh, encapsulation level, <laughs> as we say in programming. But as you say way earlier in the podcast, people don't like to experiment. So usually you just do the things that you think works because you've seen it work elsewhere. People are risk averse a lot. And trying some new stuff is very much risk intensive. So yeah, I guess that would be the difference between seeing AIs and humans on Echo. Maybe you'd have less cognitive bias in the process unless you code them in the AI. What is the conclusion? You want to play it? <laughs> I really want to play the game. We might have found something to test some stuff when we say counterfactual earth. Each time we say counterfactual earth, we can try to do it on Echo, which might be fun. I, I think one of the conclusions we had is that the population to run experiment is a bit small. Yeah. We would really love it if you had if it had much like more people. Though having more people in the game doesn't tell you that you can have more people per server at the same time. Maybe you need powerful servers and that's your bottleneck. But I think maybe now the bottleneck is the population of the game. Yeah. On the website it says there's a ceiling at 30 players. So even if we made like 200 player pay and we have like strong server, they put a limit at 30. Oh, do you think it's a hard limit? Maybe it's a hard limit. I don't know. It seems like that on the website. I don't know. 30 people simultaneous is maybe 200 people active. Still a pretty big server. But uh, I mean, at the same time, if you have way more people, they would probably need to shard more the job ladder, right? Because they have like 10 to 15 professions. Maybe if you have a lot, lot more people you need to have a lot more specialized jobs it's hard to design the world from scratch <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, they're not in an easy position of course there's a lot of bias that comes from the design of the game but it is pretty interesting maybe we should uh, end with a call for everyone to tell us if they had echo experience yes and if you have other game that Sounds like that. Or other ways to get counterfactual Earth. It doesn't need to be a game. <laughs> we can run ancestor simulations as long as they're not conscious. Yeah, we're on the lookout for that. And we will discuss all of this, all of your feedback next time, but not, not tomorrow. tomorrow. Uh, um, uh, is that okay? And you didn't say all the platform and mail. Yes. Uh, send us your stories, remarks, etc. at Not Daily Podcast without spaces, all in one go, at Gmail, Reddit, Twitter, all the ones we check the most. There's YouTube. Please send us stuff. We're very lonely. And see you later. But, but not, not tomorrow. tomorrow. Because, because you want me to say that, <laughs> you monster. Yes. See you. Three. Wait, I, I thought I, I would say three, two, one and like clap, but not tomorrow. Just not tomorrow, no. not to see you. 
That's well, I don't know. You tell me what you want. <laughs> I hate that. I'm doing it for you. The usual outro is see you, but not tomorrow. That's all. At the same time? It's No. Someone says see you, one of us. Yeah. We've done that like 40 times right now. It's like see you, and then both of us say not tomorrow, and then I edit okay. it for it to be at the same time. Okay. But I need to see you to... Okay. And not tomorrow. I didn't know about the see you. Well, I didn't notice the see you part. I only noticed the not tomorrow part. But like not tomorrow alone me- means nothing. Yeah. But I thought the part before was like freestyle. Loose. It's a bit more loose, to be honest. It's a bit more loose. But we can't just say not tomorrow because I need to put something before. And like I think the most ubiquitous one is see you. That's why. Okay. Okay. So see you. But, but not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fine. Oh that God! Was fine.